So for those who don't know, uh, today is the first day of Lent, known as Ash Wednesday. That's what's going on with my forehead. I'm not uh, prepping for brain surgery or anything. I just wanted to get that out of the way at the start. <clears throat> um, I had another sermon completely planned, and uh, God showed me otherwise and kind of put that one to the back burner and laid this one on my heart. And uh, the... There's going to be a lot of biblical text, and it's going to be extensive reading from these texts just to get the context of what the message is. And hopefully it will uh, be apparent as we go what they all have in common. And uh, the first one is from the book of Esther. The Kind of the backstory of this is Esther has basically secured a position of favor to uh, Xerxes. And anybody who's ever seen the movie 300 knows who Xerxes is. And um, Esther becomes one of his uh, valued women, and she is also Jewish. But Xerxes doesn't know this. And... There comes a time when one of Xerxes' men starts to fear the Jewish people, and he plants the seed in Xerxes' head to eliminate them all. Well, Esther finds herself in a position where her family may be slaughtered at the hands of her uh, lover, of King Xerxes. So she finds herself in a position that uh, a member of her family makes clear to her that she has a responsibility to. And it says in uh, chapter 4, verse 14, For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. And the message that he's trying to get across is that God will always use a willing vessel. God will always find somebody who is uh, willing to do his will. But oftentimes, those of us who don't listen... To what God's will is, another steps up in our place. Another person steps up and God uses them instead. And usually this either means a lack of a blessing on our part or something worse like in this scenario. But the idea that really sticks out to me is when he says, and who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. She was basically groomed to take this position by this same man and when she has acquired the position that she has she's able to deliver the Jewish people from this fate she's able to get an audience with the king and convince him 
to not go through with this. And by doing so, she's not only cemented herself in history, but she's also changed the course of it. There was a point in time where it was like a fork in the road. She could have said no. She could have been shy. She could have just shrugged it all off. And her whole family would have been killed. And there's no telling if it would have just stopped at her family. He speculates that possibly somebody else would have risen up. But there, there's no way to know that. And God oftentimes leaves that fork in the road for us. He shows us that there's two choices that we can make. We can either take the path that God set for us or we can take another one. And what happens determines what happens to us. And ultimately what could happen to the world. There's a, a new show that I watch. It's called Six Degrees. And basically what it does is it tells a story from start to finish of how seemingly unrelated events cause a chain reaction that lead to a change in history. And oftentimes it's various changes in history. Like there's an episode where it talks about how a volcano from the 1600s saved Eminem's rap career. They're seemingly un they're seemingly completely different. But the steps that happen in between are what bring about the end outcome. And that's the point that the show makes, and that's the point that this text makes as well. And there's various parts of this where uh where God shows us this this message. In Genesis, there is a extreme example that most people are familiar with. And what happens is it's about Joseph. His brothers don't like him because his father favors them. So they make a plan to sell him to Egypt. When he's sold into slavery, they pretend that he died. When they go back to his father so that they don't take any blame, they make it seem like it was an accident. Well, later on, there's a famine in the land. So the brothers, unknowingly, go to Egypt. By this time, Joseph has been in prison. He's, been, he's used the gifts that God has given him to secure a place of power in Egypt. He has authority over regions because of his relationship to God and the gifts that God gave him. The brothers don't know this. They haven't seen him. They haven't heard from him. They assume that he's either a slave somewhere, sold off again, or dead. And they really don't care. When they come into Egypt to buy grain during a famine, which, ironically, Joseph had predicted and told them about, which was one of the things that caused them to get mad in the first place, and he basically said that they would one day bow before him. And this is the scene that is taking place in Genesis 45. And they've come, they've gone, and uh, Joseph has kind of tested the waters with them. He wants to see if they're really sorry for what they've done. At one, 
in one instance, Joseph wants to hold it over their head that what they meant for bad has turned out to be good for him. He wants to rub this in their face, but at the same time, he's conflicted. He wants to find out about his dad, if his dad's still alive, and he wants to do right by God. And in the end, what he does is he does right by God. He gives them the food they ask for, sometimes out of malice to kind of ensnare them. But overall, it says, Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there has been a famine in the land, and for the next five years there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and ruler of all Egypt. So Joseph sees that God placed him in this in this position so that he can save the lives of his people, of his family, including those that tried to kill him in the first place. He realizes that even though he had to go through some hard times, even though it wasn't a clean move from point A to point B, there were some stops in between, God used those things to prepare him for the place he's in now. If he wasn't thrown in the dungeon, if he didn't have the gift of interpreting dreams, he would have never been able to predict this famine to be able to ensure that he was in this position to store up the grain to survive the famine. Not only did he secure the food for Egypt, but he secured the food for his family, Israel. And had this not happened, he not only would have not been able to ensure that this was set aside for them, but he wouldn't have experienced this reconciliation with his brothers and bring peace to his father. He also wouldn't have been able to put two and two together, that it was God that brought him there for this ultimate purpose of, of God's. And that's something that's important. Sometimes we go through things. Sometimes we get to places and we don't feel like we feel lost. We feel like we're going down a road that's just completely contradictory to where we think we should be. Sometimes we get into a place where we're at a job that we may not like. Maybe we meet people that rub us the wrong way. Maybe we meet people that change our lives. But God always has a purpose for these things. Sometimes we have to go through hard things so that God could set us up for the blessing he has for us in the future. Sometimes we feel like we're trapped in a dungeon but really, God's preparing us for the growth that he has in store for us. Sometimes we meet people that we don't necessarily like, that we don't necessarily get along with. Sometimes people push us and put us down, but those are things that God uses to grow us in the future. 
Those are things that God has in place so that we can move into his will. We find ourselves sometimes at these crossroads, not just by magically appearing there, but going through these trials and going through these hard times that inevitably lead to our salvation or destruction, depending on which path we take. Now, Joseph, he could have sat in the dungeon and cried and lamented. He could have just sat there and rotted away until he died. But instead, he trusted God, used what God was giving him, and it secured a place for not only him, but his family. Not only his family, but his people. And this is what his purpose was in his eyes. This is what he saw as his ultimate purpose for being where he was at. Not the power, not the money, not the privilege, but the fact that he was able to save his family. And that's something that I know is that God does in each of our lives. It may not be so profound. We may not ever be kings or in charge of the Pharaoh's people, but there's going to come a time where our lives will change based on what we do with God, what God gives us. In the book of John, there's a story in John chapter 4 where Jesus stops to get a drink. Where he stops to get a drink is important because it's a place that is sacred not just to Jewish people, but to Samaritans, to Muslims, to Christians. It is a sacred place to most of the major world religions that center on Yahweh. And when he comes here, he comes here with a purpose. His disciples don't get it. His disciples leave and he gives them a chore so that he can do what he came there to do. What he does is he meets a Samaritan woman, one who was not of high regard, and he basically chooses her to be the first person that he divulges his true identity to outside of his group of followers. It says in John chapter 4, verse 7 and following, When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks the water, this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become a spring of water welling up and up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. She's, I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have five, you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. 
Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming, and now has come, when the true worshipers will worship in the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. The disciples rejoined Jesus. Just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come see, a man told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying? It's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the one who reaps draws a wage and a harvest, a crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. If this woman hadn't been going about her duties, she probably went to that well every day to get water. She probably was mocked by those in her town. She probably didn't really fit in with the other women that went to draw water because of her reputation. And this day, Jesus chose to divulge one of the things that was most important about him and bring salvation not only to her, but to her town. She was in that place where she was probably uncomfortable, she probably didn't fit in, and she probably didn't go there expecting anything except something to drink that she would need to replenish tomorrow. But instead, what she found was salvation from Jesus, the word of the Messiah, and a story to tell her town so that they could believe in him also. Many people's lives were probably changed by that one trip to the water that she made. That one trip to the well that was built by Jacob in the Old Testament years and years before that. If he had never built that well, she would have never been there to be in the same place that Jesus was, to be saved by Jesus, and to bring that testimony into the town of the people that ridiculed her. Sometimes God puts us in places that we don't know we need to be. 
Sometimes we can go to the same place every single day and nothing happens. Until one day we realize why we've been going there the whole time. We realize why God has drawn us to that same place. We realize why we're still stuck at that job. Why we still have that thing in our lives that we can't seem to be rid of. Sometimes we find ourselves in a place where we are growing. And when we grow, we don't always see it. When a seed is planted, it's doing the majority of its growing underground where nobody could see. The majority of what a seed does happens outside of our sight. The same thing happens in our lives. Sometimes we grow in the place where we're planted for a season when one day that harvest will come to fruition. We will bear the fruit that we were meant to bear when we were planted in that spot to begin with. There's a story. I'm going to tell a story from my personal life that, uh, th that made this apparent to me. There was a guy that I was in the military with that I was exceptionally mean to during a time when I didn't believe in God and I was pretty much at close to my worst. And when I got clean, I knew that I had to make amends to people. And he was one of the first that came, on, came to my mind. He was one of the first people that I wanted to make amends to. And I never had the opportunity I didn't know where he lived. I didn't know anything but his first and last name. And that's not a lot to go on. But I had a, a Facebook at the time. And I looked him up. I looked him up. I just wanted to make amends to him. I would pray at night that if, if God was willing, that he would let him know somehow how sorry I was for the way that I acted. And... One day, I was on Facebook, and there it was. In the people you may know, I saw his face and his name, and I clicked on it immediately. And the first thing I did was reach out to him and try to make amends. What happened is he didn't really see the situation as the same way I did. He didn't feel as wronged as I felt like I had wronged him. And we ended up having a conversation. We talked about his achievements. He showed me uh, that he had just graduated college with his uh, bachelor's degree. He told me about his plans. We talked about our goals in life. We reminisced about times past. And at the end of it all, you know, he, he told me that he felt like he had hope after our conversation. And of course, I was glad to hear that. I said, I'm, you know, I'm really glad that that I could, you know, talk to you and you, you feel hopeful. And he said, you don't really understand. He said, before we started having this conversation today, I was going to commit suicide. He told me that he was going to end his life and he was just getting ready to say goodbye when I reached out to him. All that time, I wanted to free myself from guilt. I wanted to make amends to purify my heart. I wanted to make amends so that I didn't have to feel that burden. But instead, God used that moment, God used that drive for something completely different that I never would have expected. 
God put me in a place outside of what would have brought me comfort. I wanted immediate satisfaction. I wanted immediate relief from my guilt. But God wanted me to feel it a little longer so that I could get to this place and this could happen. I've never forgot that and I never will forget that. That's something that is, is miraculous. That was one of the first times in my life that I felt like God had ordained a situation. Now, in retrospect, I can see that there was several places where God has put me in a place that he needed me, that he could use me, where he could change me, where he can grow me, where he could bring me to a salvation. There's been a lot of hard times from point A to point B, but God has always provided a path. It may not be clear, it may not be without bumps, but God has always shown me that I'm where I am for a purpose. I may not know it right away, but when something happens in my life and I realize that I was right there for a specific purpose, I know that it was ordained by God. I know for a fact that God put me there for a purpose, for a reason. Could he have put anybody there? Yes. He could have used anybody in those situations. But by being obedient to him, by listening to the urges of his spirit, to, by bringing myself and making myself a willing vessel, by doing the things that I knew were right, God used me in a way that I would have never imagined being used and he's done that several times in my life and one really big story of Jesus doing this he says uh, Jesus this is about when Jesus heals a man that was born blind from birth the Pharisees are here. They're trying to trap him. They're trying to make him look like he doesn't know theology. They're trying to meet him on the grounds of a rabbi rather than on the grounds of God, the savior of the universe. And Jesus in uh, John chapter 9, as he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After the saying, after saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means scent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes open? They asked. He replied, The man they called Jesus made some mud and put it in my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. This man 
had gone his whole life up to this point blind, unable to see. Most of the people would have thought that he was a sinner, and that's why he was born blind, or his parents were sinners, and that's why he was born blind. But nobody knew that the real reason that he was born blind was that someday Jesus was going to walk past him and give him back his sight, showing the world who he was. Some of these people had to face persecution. They had to face trials. They had to face things that were uncomfortable. They had to, he had to go through his life not being able to see anything until the one day when Jesus opened his eyes so that he could open the eyes of all those that were around him. He didn't just heal one blind man. He healed a whole bunch of blind men. People that didn't see Jesus for who he was until he healed that one man. There was a time when that man was begging because he couldn't get a job. Nobody would go near him. They thought that he was a sinner. They thought that he was... Basically, he was shunned from society because of what they perceived to have been a grievous sin in his life, either by him or by his family. His whole family probably faced ridicule. There's still countries in this world where that's the case. Somebody's blind, it was their fault. If somebody's sick, it's their fault. Jesus showed them sometimes these things that we think are punishments, sometimes these things that we think are ailments, sometimes these things that we think are bad are actually just God putting on us, us in a position to show his power. Paul said that Jesus told him that his power was made perfect in his weakness, that his grace was sufficient. Paul prayed to be removed of something that was affecting him. He never says what it is. He just calls it a thorn in his side. But Jesus assured him that that weakness was important, that it was there for a purpose to show him the power of God. And Paul went on to write the majority of the New Testament. Paul was on his way to go kill Christians when he made it to that one spot on the road where he met Jesus. He became blind. He met a man who was Jesus' disciple, who he could have killed, who he would have killed had he not met Jesus on the road, who was able to make the scales come off of his eyes. Sometimes we have to go down roads whether they be wrong, whether they be uncomfortable, so that we can get to a place where Jesus can bring us healing or bring healing through us. That disciple was probably terrified when he heard that the same person that he watched kill another disciple was coming to his house. He was supposed to baptize him. Jesus told him, just baptize this guy. That's all he knew. He didn't know Paul met Jesus on the way. He didn't know about... Paul's con conversion on the way there. He didn't know what was going on. He knew that Jesus could call him to die at any moment. And maybe he thought in his head that that's what was coming. But God instead used that to open Paul's eyes and to open the disciples' eyes, to let them know that he was chosen by God. 
And these stories are just all throughout the Bible where we only see a speck of God's plan. We only see what we're in right now. We only see this present moment. What God sees is immensely further down the road. He can see every actuality, eventuality, and possibility that we can ever go through. He knows what's coming. He knows how we'll react to it. He knows what to use to save us, and he knows how to use us to save others. He knows why there has to be sin and evil in this world. He knows what it's going to take for each individual to come to Jesus. In There's another story in the book of John that most people are familiar with. It's uh, the story of Lazarus. This is in John chapter 11. It says, A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick, so the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Finally, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But his disciples objected. Rabbi, they said, only a few days ago the people in Judea were trying to stone you. Why are you going there again? Jesus replied, there are 12 hours of daylight every day. During the day, people can walk safely. They can see because they have the light in this world. But at night, there is a danger of stumbling because they have no light. Then he said, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I will go wake him up. The disciples said, Lord, if he is sleeping, he will soon get better. They thought Jesus meant Lazarus was simply sleeping, but Jesus meant Lazarus had died. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sakes I'm glad I wasn't there. For now you will really believe. Come, let's go see him. Thomas, nicknamed the twin, or Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, let's go to and die with Jesus. When Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in the grave for four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone rises at the last day. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord, she told him. I have always believed you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. Then she returned to Mary. She called Mary aside from the mourners and told her, The teacher is here and wants to see you. So Mary immediately went to him. Jesus had stayed outside the village at the place where Martha met him. When the people who were at the house consoling Mary saw her leave so hastily, they assumed she was going to Lazarus' grave to weep. So they followed her there. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. 
When Jesus saw her weeping and saw other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him? he asked them. They told him, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept. The people who were standing nearby said, See how much he loved him. But some said, The man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb. A cave with a stone rolled across his entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested. Lord, he has been in there for four days. The smell will be terrible. Jesus responded, Didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me. But I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here, so that they will believe you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out! And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in headcloth. Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. Jesus could have traveled those few miles down the road to see Lazarus when he was sick and healed him. Jesus could have gone there, and this would have never happened. But they had to see and experience four days of grief and pain, including for however long Lazarus was sick. These followers of Jesus had to come to a place where they had to question everything. They knew that Jesus could have healed him. They called for Jesus and he didn't come. Sometimes when we pray to God, we feel like the answer's not coming fast enough. Sometimes we feel like we're in a place for too long. We start crying out to God and wonder why he's not taking us from there. Sometimes we miss out on the miracles by trying to move away. If they hadn't gone through the grief that they went to, if they hadn't sent that message to Jesus, gone through the pain that they went through, they would have never seen the greatest miracle of all, of their brother coming back to life, walking out of a grave. Not only did they see it, but everybody that was there gathering to mourn saw it. Not only did they see that, but they saw Jesus' love. Not just his power, but his love. They saw the emotion that welled up in Jesus as he came to this place. Jesus probably suffered knowing that Lazarus was going to die. I don't think Jesus wants anybody to die, but his purposes outweigh our feelings. His purposes are greater than our momentary joys. God's purpose outweighs everything that we go through. We're finite creatures. We focus on finite ideas. We focus on what's going on now, and we sometimes worry about what might come in the future. But we cannot see ahead. We can't see that road ahead. We only know what we're experiencing now. We view everything through the lens of what we're seeing now. If we're pain in pain right now, we view everything as being painful. If we're happy now, we view everything as being joyous. When we base everything on our feelings, we miss sight of what God's purpose is. Sometimes we think that we want 
to feel happy in this moment when we feel sad. We want joy. We want peace. We want all these things that we know that God can give us. And sometimes he withholds those blessings. Sometimes he withholds those things because what may look like a blessing now is really a curse in the grand scheme of things. We don't know what God has in store for us ahead of time. We can only see right in front of our faces. We can't see as far ahead as God can. So sometimes we're stuck in this place. Sometimes we have to live here. Sometimes we have to stay here. Sometimes it's not pleasant and sometimes it's painful. But it's all so that God can bring us what we ultimately desire. God's plans far outweigh any of the pain we will ever feel on our way to them. God's plans far outweigh any of the sadness we may feel on the way to that joy. Paul says that everything will pale in comparison to the weight of the glory that's in Christ Jesus. When we put our hope in the eternal and don't focus on the mortal aspects of things, we lose sight of what God's truly trying to do in our lives. Sometimes God's plan involves pain. Sometimes God's plan involves loss. Sometimes God's plan involves discomfort. But God promises that he will wipe away every tear that we shed. When we are with him in glory, we will experience a joy that far outweighs anything that we've ever felt on this earth. Not just our joys, but our troubles, our cares, our worries. Every bit of anxiety we've ever felt will be outweighed by joy when we finally get into his presence. That is the biggest part of our lives. The biggest part of our lives is going to take place in the eternity that we spent with Jesus. This is just going to be a breath. The very first painful, confusing breaths that a child takes is what this life amounts to. When a baby's born, they jumpstart its breathing, it cries, and it experiences momentary pain. That's what this life is in comparison to the glory and to the joy we will feel when we are with our Father in Heaven. So, if you're in a place right now where you feel like everything's just against you, where you feel like everything's stacked against you, that you're not where you're supposed to be, God might be telling you to hang out a little bit longer. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said that faith is taking the first step without seeing the staircase. When we walk by faith, when we walk in the path that God's laid before us, we don't know what's ahead, but we know who's ahead of us to prepare the way. We know who's there to make our path straight.
We know who's there that knows what it's going to take for us to come to that place that God wants us to be. And we can trust that as long as we love God, that goodness is what we can expect in the future.